How's everybody tonight? Good to see you all. Something wrong on this side? You all okay? Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, whatever side you're on, we're glad that you're here. <laughs> okay, you all can hash that out later. <laughs> Whatever side you're on, thanks for being here. I'm glad you could be here. If you're on live stream podcast, thanks for joining with us tonight. It's always good to get together and fellowship around the Word of God. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands and bless the Lord. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. We give you all the glory and all the honor. You alone are worthy, Lord. You are the... You are the glorious King, the majestic one, the risen Savior, our Lord, our God, our King. Oh, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood that was shed for us, your life that was given for us, that you paid the price for our sin, paid our debt that we could not pay so that we could be free from sin. But not only free from sin, you redeemed us from the curse. You set us free from sickness and disease and lack. And I thank you, Lord, that we can be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, that you've made us to be victorious and more than conquerors in this life. Oh, we thank you for that, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I thank you that as we approach your word this evening, that we sit at your feet to be taught of your spirit, to receive impartation of revelation into our heart, that the word of God, that you, that you teach us and show us how the word of God relates to us as individuals into the application that is specific for our life so that those words are not just words on a page not just a theology but an actual living living word in us uh, because it's a living relationship with you lord i thank you thank you that we can continually grow in your nature and conforming more and more to the image of jesus and steadily increasing and walking in a manner that is worthy of you. We bless you and honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. glory to God. Well, let's open up to Revelation chapter 3. We've been talking about all of the, the churches in the book of Revelation because that's the part that pertains to us. And uh, we've, we've looked at... Um, there are seven churches altogether. This is the sixth one that we're looking at. Um, and, you know, he's been, we've been talking about the church of Laodicea. And the church of Laodicea had the most problems, most issues. And um, there was absolutely no commendation that Jesus had for the church of Laodicea, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, there are things that no matter what, no matter where, no matter what position we may find ourselves in, there is always a way out. Yeah. Isn't that right? There's always a way to change and always a way to be an overcomer. So in Revelation chapter 3, let's read in verse 17. He says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So they were saying one thing, saying I am rich, which is actually we, we saw last week. It had the definite article in front of it, which means I am the rich, which means there's none like us. We are it. We have it all. We've become wealthy and we have need of nothing. But then Jesus had something else to say about them. 
And he said, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Okay? You know, when you think you have it all, when you think you know it all, when you think you don't need anything, that's when you stand naked before God. And Jesus said to this church, I'd rather you be hot or cold. You know, and that it, doesn't, it has nothing to do with zeal for God or whether you're ice cold towards God. The hot waters that came from one city uh, into, um, into Laodicea, they were hot waters from hot springs. And then from another city was cold water that came towards Laodicea. But by that time that that water got to Laodicea, the hot water got lukewarm and the cold water got warm. So by the time all the water got to Laodicea, it was just lukewarm and it wasn't good for anything. Hot water was good for, to be therapeutic. Cold water is good to be refreshing. So Jesus said, I'd rather that you be hot or cold. I'd rather you were therapeutic or I'd rather that you would be refreshing. But you're lukewarm, which meant you, they were good for nothing. They had no redeeming quality about them. You know, we always want to receive the goodness of God. You know, we want the rivers of God to flow and receive from him. But as much as we want to and we ought to receive from him, we're called not to receive from him, but to reveal his goodness to others. See, that's what, that's what we're here for, to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. So we want to receive from God, but as much as what we receive is good and helpful towards us, it is designed to take that which we receive and reveal it to others, to show God's goodness to other folks. Isn't that right? So that you would show them in a way that's hot and therapeutic, or that you would show them in a way that's cold and refreshing. You know, everybody needs refreshing in their life. Everybody needs things that therapeutic in their life. Isn't that right? Amen. So he said to them that they were neither, and he's telling them here, you think you're one thing, but this is what I'm telling you that you are. So there's got to be a way to change that and escape that condition. So verse 18 goes on to say, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now, there's a whole lot there. But the first thing he says is, I advise. Okay, and the word advise is an intensive word. And it actually means, I advise you, or you need to come and take counsel. Okay, and it means to ad receive advice from someone. And the counsel that he's advising is how counsel ought to be, where you come together, you're open, you're honest, you're frank with one another, and you know the old expression, just lay your cards on the table. You know, and that's what counsel is all about. You know, I've been in counsel, I've not been in counsel, but I've done counseling, you know, for 40 years. And so many times in doing counseling, people just want to play games. They don't want to be honest. They don't want to really tell you the way it is. And then they want you to kind of counsel them, but they're not really being open and honest about things. So you can't really counsel them in the way that they need to be counseled. Amen. You know. Or it, when it comes to uh, married uh, uh, couples, 
A lot of times one of the spouses will come in and say, I, want, I need counsel, but the other one won't come in. And, you know, so if Terry comes in and says, I need some counsel because Mark is blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm not going to tell Terry, well, this is what Mark needs to do. I'm going to tell Terry what Terry needs to do because she's the one that came for counsel. You know, I'm not going to talk about the other person. They're not there. Okay. And, and you know how it is when there's counseling, especially with marriage counsel, just like in any situation, there's two sides to every story. <laughs> and that's why both need to come together because you've got to hear both sides. Why? Because without it, you can't lay your cards on the table. But on an individual basis, counsel, you come to the Lord for counsel, just be open, honest, and frank. If you ever read the Psalms, you, you hear David. He just lets his heart out. You know, how long are you going to leave us in this condition? You're going to forsake us forever. When are you going to come and do something about this? You know, that's just the way David would talk. Because David had a relationship with God, and he'd just come and open and honest and frank. Amen. So I advise you to come take counsel with me and buy. And the word buy means to buy in a marketplace. Now, you know, the word of God tells you that as a believer, you've been bought with a price. Isn't that right? So he's telling us to buy. Now, when Jesus bought us with a price, it, Jesus gave us all. He gave everything to buy us. Isn't that right? So to buy, it means come and give it your everything. Come and give it your all. But you're not doing it in a spiritual marketplace. And I know it says up here, buy from me. But that word from is actually of because of the way it's written in the Greek. It means buy of me, not from me. Like come and buy this from me, purchase it from. No, it means come and buy of me. And the word of is the Greek word para, which means alongside of. Come buy alongside of me. Come and get this and purchase this, and it's alongside of me. In other words, right by my side, come into my presence. Get at my side in order to purchase. And it's going to cost you your self-sufficiency. You're going to have to give up your self-sufficiency. You'll have to give up your pride of life if you're going to come alongside the Lord to buy what you want, what you need. Because when you come to him, what are you going to say? Lord, you're, you are who I need. You know, I've done this on my own for how long and nothing's worked. It's time to make a change here. Come alongside God, come alongside of him and let him then give to you the things that you need. But you have to give it your all. You got to give up your self-sufficiency, give up your pride, come humbly before God for the help that you need. And what is it that we're supposed to buy? Gold. Okay, gold. Spiritually symbolizes the true riches of Christ. Okay. The Laodiceans were so rich that when their city was destroyed by an earthquake, they rebuilt it themselves without any help from Rome. They said, they told Rome, we don't need your help. We'll just do it ourselves. That, they just had that much money. So that's why they would call themselves, we are the rich. We are the wealthy. But what they had was fool's gold. 
Gold from the world has no spiritual eternal value. Nothing wrong with money. Money is not bad. Money takes on the character of the person that has it. It's the love of money that will destroy you. Right? Okay. So it symbolizes the true riches of Christ. But not only gold, but gold refined by fire. Gold refined by fire. Amen. Pure gold. What happens when you put gold in the fire? All the dross comes to the top, and the gold becomes pure. Isn't that right? Well, what does God have or possess that is pure? It's his word. The word is the purest of truth. And in Proverbs, it says every word of God's is tested in the fire. Okay? Now, God's word don't need to be tested because it's already been proven. But when you take hold of God's word and say, this is what I believe, then the enemy comes to put you in the fire to see if you really believe what you said you believed. And that word that you take in, if you stand the fire... That word will be refined in you and be purest of gold. Are you with me? Amen. We know that in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says that by the true knowledge of God, grace and peace is multiplied back to you. Grace and peace is multiplied not through knowledge, but through the true knowledge. The true knowledge. There's a lot of people that believe they know what the word of God says, but being destroyed. But the true knowledge multiplies grace and multiplies peace into your life because it's the purest of truth, the pureness of the word of God. When I take in the pureness of the word of God, what's it going to show up? My dross. The only way to get the pure gold is get in the fire. It's the only way. Because the word that comes to you is pure. But it's going through your reasoning. It's going through your experiences. It's going through your background. It goes through your perceptions. And the only way to get all that dross out to get in the fire with the word and prove the word to be the truth. Stand, stand in the time of trial. When the enemy comes to bring trials, temptings, and, and temptations, stand in that, and that word will become pure in you. And you have bought gold refined by fire. Amen. Amen. So when you jump in the fire with the word of God, what gets shown up? Not the impurities of the word, ours, our impurities. It shows our life. So when you jump in the fire with the word of God, your life's going to show up, and you have to come to grips with it. And the first thing you have to do is put down your pride. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll be back here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. 
Hallelujah. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So no other foundation can be laid except the one which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And no foundation can be laid next to that one of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you an example of this. Um, we knew this fella, and he was um, uh, Asian, and he received Jesus as the Lord of his life. And he believed Jesus was on the throne right next to Buddha and right next to Mohammed because they were all there together. They're all God, and they're all there together, just kind of hanging out, I guess. There was a evangelist that was over in Japan some time ago, 20 or so years ago, and big meeting gave an altar call for salvation. Hundreds, possibly thousands of people came to answer that call. And he was just so excited. But the evangelist that was seasoned came onto the platform and said to him, they don't get it. They're adding Jesus to their Buddha. You need to get them to renounce one. And in order to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the others had to be renounced. So you cannot put a foundation next to the foundation of Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. He's the foundation that you are to rest securely on, that it holds your life together just like a foundation holds a building up. Isn't that right? No other foundation is the underlying reason for our sufficiency. There is no foundation in life that is the source of true sufficiency. Jesus is the only foundation. The Word of God is the only foundation. Jesus is the Word made flesh. That Word is the only foundation for our sufficiency. In Laodicea, what they did was they laid their wealth down next to the foundation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and their security was in their wealth. And they felt that their wealth was just as important as Jesus. Now, when he says here in verse uh, 13, I believe it was, uh, 12. Now, if any man builds on the foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Now, what this does is it describing building materials, how you build on the foundation. You can either build it with gold, silver, and precious stones, or you can build it with wood, hay, and straw. And it had to do with not just the work that you do, but the motive, the attitude, and everything inward in which that work came from. So in other words, I say to my wife, do you want me to do this for you? And she says, yeah, that would be great. I'm like, okay, I'll do that, just so she don't get ticked off at me, I'll tell you what. Well, that's a wrong motive. 
The right motive would be, I'd be glad to do that for you. That's what you would like. That would be the right motive. Right? So it's not, it's on both looks the same. You know, there's people all around the world sit in church. They don't have the right motives. You can come sit in church because you're a, a Christian. You believe in Jesus. You're developing your life in him. Or you can come to church just hoping God will leave you alone for the week. <laughs> you know. So, but yet everybody's sitting there and it all looks good. So the motor behind what we do is what counts. And that's what makes it gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. And the work, it says in verse 13, will become evident or manifested. For the day will show it. What day? It's the day of judgment. Now, you as a believer will not be judged. When Jesus became Lord of your life, you passed out of judgment, it tells us in John chapter 5. We came out of darkness and came into the light. Isn't that right? But what does get judged in our life is our works. Our works will be judged. So on the day of judgment, fire is going to hit our works. If it's gold, silver, and precious stones, it will purify the works. But if it's wood, hay, and straw, it's going to get burned up. So, uh, you know, safe to say we're going to have some purifying stuff and we're going to have some burned up stuff, you know. But we're working at trying to get all the gold, silver, precious stones, right? Amen. Amen. So taking the word of God and being in the fire with the word so that the word be refined, set in the fire today and don't wait for that day. Because when that day comes, you can't change it. But this day you can. So get in the fire today, and if the stuff burns up, let it burn. You can get going again and get it right. But when that day comes, you can't do anything about it. So don't spend a life of fruitless work. Let's expose ourselves, expose our motives to the purifying flame of the Word of God and burn up the dross now. Let's change what's needed. Let's change the, the wood, the hay, straw. Let it burn up now. Purchase the gold refined by the fire and be rich in the life that God has given to us. Let go of our self-sufficiency in the fire right at his side. So the first thing is you have to see your need. You have to see that. That's why we come to his side because we have a need. I don't mean I need some health and I need some money and I need. No, my need is I don't have the character I'm supposed to have. I'm not walking in the love I ought to be walking in. I don't have the endurance I need to have. I'm not as faithful as I'm supposed to be. Character traits, fruit of the spirit. I have a need. But you can't see that unless you spend time and let the word of God deal with you because self-conceit creates self-deceit self-conceit creates self-deceit the more proud you are the more deceit the more deceived you are back to revelation 3 
And you know, you know, I remember when I first got saved back in 1981. I barely remember back that far. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but when I first got saved, 1981, I was 30 years old. And after 30 years of my life and living the way that I lived and having been brought up in New York and, you know, the streets of New York and all that, when I first got saved, totally felt clean on the inside, but I didn't know how to put that into words. And, if I, and I was looking at how I felt, and the only thing I could think was I feel very naive on the inside. Because I went back, actually, when I got saved, I went back to when I was 12 years old before sin became alive and I died. And I was, so I felt very naive on the inside, and that scared me. Because being brought up in New York, the last thing you ever want to do is feel naive. You don't want to be naive about nothing. So it was very concerning to me that I felt that way. But I liked it. I knew something had happened. I came to the realization immediately when I got saved that God loves me and Jesus is alive. Glory to God. And I wasn't going to go back for nothing. And I said, well, bless God. If feeling naive is the way I got to feel, I'm taking it. Amen. Hallelujah. So he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself. So white garments. Now, the city of Laodicea, they were very famous for their clothing industry and uh, for using uh, black wool. But Jesus said they needed white garments from him. So he's telling them that what they have and what they what they what they have and trust that they have put on is not really covering them. Again, it's a foolish trust. Their money was fool's gold, and now their garments, their black wool, and what their industry is, is foolish trust. And he's telling them to take off the black, filthy, sinful garments and put on the white ones. Now, you understand, these people are saved. This is the church of Laodicea. These people are born again. But that doesn't mean that you never have issues. Who can testify to that? <laughs> yeah. So when he's telling them to put on white garments, the white garments symbolize the righteous deeds of the saints. And again, righteous deeds versus works. Gold, silver, precious stones versus wood, hay, and straw. Okay? If you look, and you don't have to do it tonight, but Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, talks about how they were clothed in white garments, and it was the, their righteous deeds. Okay? So we're talking about actually beyond being born again. This is about life, lifestyle. The just shall live by faith. You know, remember when Jesus talked about the parable of the marriage supper and everybody was invited and then the, the host came in to the, the, the wedding and he saw the, ha the hall was filled with people, but then there was a man there and he didn't have the proper clothing on. And he said to the man, how did you get in here? Because he didn't have the proper clothing. You can't get in without the proper clothing. Why? Because in order to get into his presence, you have to be dressed in white. Yeah. 
white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. The shame. It's confusion of one that is ashamed of anything. And people walk around in shame or they're ashamed. It brings great confusion into their life. It's, it brings disgrace and it brings dishonor. Whether it's real shame or whether it's perceived shame. So real shame will bring disgrace and dishonor. Perceived shame, you'll perceive yourself as being dishonorable and disgraced. And that, the, that your nakedness will not be revealed. In other words, the word nakedness means to be ill-dressed, to be uncovered. And it's the picture of a man dressed up in a tuxedo that's, you know, just sharp. I mean, impeccable, looking really, really good. And unfortunately, when he turns around, the flap on his pants is open and hanging down, and he doesn't know it. <laughs> but everybody else sees it. Well, that is the picture. <laughs> Well, what covers that up? The white garments. The white garments. Clothe yourself in righteous works. Why? Because those that are in the works of the flesh, they look good before everybody. I mean, they're putting on a show. They are the showpiece. And everybody can look at them and think, oh, you know, oh, there's. And, and this is why you hear this all the time in the church. Oh, you know, Sister Susie, she's always on the front row. This is Sister Anita. We're not talking about her. But <laughs> Sister Susie, she's always on the front row. She's there at every service. I don't know why she's having all this trouble. Well, it's a good chance that she's in works. There's a good chance, just like if you go to the Olive Garden, and sit down, and they bring you a whole meal, and you walk out hungry because you didn't eat. So just because you sit there doesn't mean you're eating. Just because you sit there you know, doesn't mean you're taking a doggy bag so you can eat more later. It just means you're sitting there. But we have a way of judging based on the things that we see. And when we see somebody sitting there all the time, we think, that, oh, man, they're top Christian. But Jesus is the one that sees the flap open. Are you with me? That your nakedness will not be revealed. It won't be shown openly, revealed clearly, and in some detail. Men will know that you're naked. Remember what, the, uh, what, what Jesus talked about, uh, about how men will trample you underfoot? When the, vines, when the branch is disconnected from the vine, it'll be dried, and you'll be trampled underfoot by men? Well, that's what happens when the world knows you're naked. See, the devil knows if you're naked. And he uses that as access into your life. We want Jesus to reveal our nakedness to us, not to everybody else, but to us. You know, <laughs> judge my works now. Don't wait for that day. Judge it now. Let me know. I need to change. Let me get dressed today. So that when I'm standing there, I can avoid disgrace. Are you with me? So we told them to uh, buy of him gold, refined by fire, 
white garments that you, won't, that you clothe yourself, that the shame of your nakedness not be revealed, and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Well, that eye salve, they had, again, in Laodicea, the corner market on eye powder. And it was, of course, in Laodicea, they had a great medical center. But Jesus said, you need what I have for your eyes, not what you think you have. Rub the salve into your eyes, and at first it would burn, but it was very effective. That eye powder was very effective to heal the eyes. And in order for it to help the eyes, it had to first burn the eyes. Well, before you could be helped by the word of God, you have to first see some things. And it might hurt. This is why a lot of people run away from the word of God. Because the word starts to expose things in our life. And people run away from that. You know, I knew a man that his son would just not pay attention to him when he would try to tell him what to do. He would not listen. He would not obey. And, and it was just extremely hard to get him to obey. And I knew him back in the 80s. And um, they were in their van, and they had parked someplace, and it was a busy street, and the kid opened up the door, and the father said, don't jump out of the van. The kid didn't listen, jumped right out in front of an oncoming car and killed him. And the man for years was mad at God. That God, why would God do this? Why would God allow this? He had to face his own self that he did not discipline his children. I had another woman come to me. And she was mad, mad at God. Of course, her daughter, teenage daughter, died in a car accident, head-on collision with a semi-truck. Killed her instantly. And she's mad. She wants to know why God allowed this to happen. And as she's talking to me, I have this sort of a vision of what had happened that night. Because she wanted to know why God didn't protect her daughter. And um, I said, your daughter, I said, it was a rainy night, wasn't it? She said, yeah. I said, your daughter's impatient. There was a car in front of her, and God told her, do not pass that car. But she wouldn't listen. And because she wouldn't listen, she moved in the other lane to try to pass the car head on into a semi-truck. I said, God tried to protect her, but she wouldn't listen. Now, people think God will just come down and stop it and make it not happen. Which could happen if he had authority on the earth. But he don't have the authority on the earth. He gave it to you. It's the first thing he said to Adam, have dominion. He gave that to Adam. And then when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, uh, the devil said, for all of this kingdom has been handed over to me. Well, who handed it over to the devil? Adam did. He handed it over to him with all of the dominion. And that's why he's the God of this world. But thank God we're not of the world. Are you with me? Now, I can go on and on and on with account after account, but this happens all the time. 
And God is always trying to do some things to help us out. But then we have to listen and obey. Amen. You know, one of the most obedient men to God in the Bible other side the other side the other button there you go are you still listening are you on the edge of your seat one of the most obedient men in the word of God was Joseph Jesus' foster father And this is when he was 19 years old. If he was not obedient to God, he would not have gone into Bethlehem. He would not have, when Jesus was two years old, would not have taken his family into Egypt. And the Bible says immediately he obeyed. You're talking about somebody 19, 20 years old obeying. the. And I'm assuming he was that old. He may not have been that old. Because Mary could have been between 12 and 14 when they got engaged. So what was Joseph? Maybe 16, 18 at the most. And then Jesus is born and two years later, he's two years old uh, when they have to flee to Egypt. You wonder why the Magi showed up when Jesus was two years old. You know, the wise, the wise men was not at the uh, uh, birth. You understand that, right? The wise men were not at the birth. The wise men showed up, and the Bible says that they came to the house. And when they went to Herod, that when they went to Herod, this has nothing to do with Laodicea, but when they went to Herod, Herod said to his scribes, where is this king going to be born? And they said, oh, in Bethlehem. And then he sent the kings off, and he said, tell us where they are so we can come worship too. And they left. But they, what did they do? They followed the star. Where did the star go? Nazareth. And at two years old, the kings came into Nazareth. And then the kings were warned, don't go back to Herod. And they brought their gifts. And the gifts that they gave Jesus for a low-level king. You know, they came, they said, we're looking for him born king of the Jews. Now, for a low-level king, the amount of gifts that they brought, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, was worth about $5 million for a low-level king. Now, Peter Daniels talks about how the kings were dealt with all through the Old Testament and all, that by the time Jesus came around, what they gave him was valued at about $40 because he was a high-level king. I'm way off track. But hopefully that helped your eyes so you could see. <laughs> Before you can be helped by the word, the first thing you need to see some things in your own life and it might hurt. Because how can you fix things if you don't know it needs to be fixed? It's like driving down the road on a flat tire. If you don't know it's flat, you're just going to keep riding on it. And you'll say, well, I don't know why I'm getting such bad gas mileage. 
I don't know why this thing isn't handling right. This thing just doesn't seem to be right, but we're still going. We're still going. You know, you're on a flat tire. That's the problem. But if you don't see it, you won't fix it. Same thing with our life. And he, what he wants us to do is to be freed from the blindness of self-deception. Come out of being enveloped in the smoke of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and the pride of life. Because self-conceit creates self-deceit. And by eye salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. The word see is the Greek word blepo, which is also translated take heed. Take heed. It could also be translated uh, beware. Okay? So he wants us to get the eye salve from him to anoint our eyes so that we can take heed and beware. So that we can see the truth about our life. He wants you to beware and take heed because there is stuff in our life that just isn't right. And now I realize that we all think we're perfect. Now, none of us will admit to that. We will not admit to that, but we live it. We live like we are because every time something goes wrong, we want to know, well, why did this happen? Well, why do you think it happened? Because you're a squirrel. I See, and nobody wants to admit that. Not at all. No, not me. I'm a blood-bought Christian, bless God. I have a faith man. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I believe in Jesus. Yes, and you're highly favored. Nobody wants to admit they're a screw-up. Nobody would ever admit that. But self-conceit. Create self-deceit. Amen. <laughs> Laodicea thought their material wealth was a signal of their spiritual wealth. Well, bless God, I walk in health. Well, bless God, I, I got money. Well, bless God, you know, I, I got, well, my needs are taken care of. God blesses me. You could do that with the world. You could do that with the arm of the flesh. Are you with me? But Laodicea thought they had superior spiritual knowledge because of the material wealth. Oh, yeah, I got this God stuff down. I know the word. Look at all this stuff that's in my life. Really? That's how you, I thought we walked by faith and not by sight. But yet you continue to try to prove your life is right with God because of the stuff you have. What happened to walk in my faith? What's going on in here? Forget about the out here stuff. What's going on in here? That's what counts. So they thought they had superior spiritual knowledge because of their material wealth when in fact they were spiritually stone blind of spiritual truth. And anoint your eyes. He doesn't say he'll anoint your eyes. He doesn't say he'll make the changes for you. He says, if you want to stay in your condition, go right ahead. It's up to you. He'll let you. He will allow us to live, die, go to heaven, and have all of our works burned up and let somebody else get our reward. Because that's our choice. We have free will. 
We are the ones that choose to anoint or not. Jesus knows the rewards. He's coming with rewards, isn't he? The Bible says when he comes, his rewards will be with him. So he knows rewards going to somebody. You just need to choose whether it's going to be you. I'm still smiling. How about you? The choice is ours. It may burn. It may hurt a little bit, but you need to see it. You need to take heed to it. You need to beware. You need to sober up, anoint your eyes, and on the other side, things will be a whole lot better. Amen. Verse 19. I'm sorry I took all your time on the Joseph story. It says, those whom I love, I repute, reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Those that I love, the word love in the Greek is not agape. It's phileo, which is the word for a dear friend, to actually have a feeling of affection for someone. Agape is love by choice. Phileo is the love based on feelings. Well, I shouldn't say it's a love based on feelings, but it's love that's created feelings. Okay? So this line of love, phileo, is feeling dear to someone and considered as a friend. So what Jesus wants you to understand is that he has a deep feeling and affectionate of love for you. This is not just, yeah, I choose to love you because it's agape. No, this is a deep feeling and affectionate love for you. And because he has such a deep feeling and affectionate love for you, he will reprove you. He will prove you to be in the wrong. He'll point out our wrongdoing. But for what reason? To be a help. He doesn't point out your wrongdoing to put you down, condemn you, and make you feel bad. He does it to be a help to you. Don't run out of the van. That's a help. You know, it's like we always say. One word of a sentence could change everything. There's a big difference between run out into the street and don't run out into the street. One word changes everything. And that's what we need from God, just the one word that will help to change us. He wants to be a help to us. He'll reprove us, and he will discipline us. And the word discipline was originally used in bringing up a child, to educate, to train, to nurture, to influence the conscious will and the action. That's the purpose of discipline, to influence the conscious will so that out of your free will and choice, you can then take the right actions. So to reprove and discipline is to point out our wrongs and then instruct us as a child, not as a baby, but as a child. Instruction will always leave one with a choice, always. And who decides the final outcome? The instructed one. The instructed one chooses. Choose to do the instruction or not. He says, therefore, be zealous and repent. Therefore, or accordingly, then, the internal relation of cause and effect. The cause is, I love you, I reprove you, and I discipline you. That was the cause. Now, the effect should be, be zealous and repent. So the one, the repentant, follows the discipline. Are you with me? Be zealous to repent. It's a picture of two friends walking together. Their repenting is not needing to be sorrowful, emotional. 
because of guilt or shame or not able to forgive yourself. To repent is very simply a matter of choice to change your mind. Change the way that you think about something. If you change the way you think about something, you'll change the way you do. Repentance is a decision. It's not an emotional. Some can get so overwhelmed with emotion that they can't make a rational decision to change. Some get uh, the opportunity to repent is a symbol of Jesus' affectionate love. He could say, I love you, but I'm done with you. He could do that, couldn't he? He would have every right to do that, but he doesn't. He gives us a chance and an opportunity to repent, which is proof of his love for you. He'll not let you go to the end without talking to you. Understand that he loves you. He cares about you. It's a reason for joy. So be zealous to decide to change. And the ability is in every person to do it. When everything's going good, it's always easy to slip back and become a creature of comfort. But we create habits that can wind up being fatal. Because what happens is we stop being serious about pressing into the things of the Spirit. There's no reason to. Everything's going okay. This is why you can't afford to be a problem-minded Christian. You have to be a Christian, period, that is running after Jesus. And you have to decide to get next to him in the fire. Isn't that right? Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Behold is a demonstrative word that means you could say, hey, (laughs) I'm here at the door. (laughs) You know, it's something to get your attention. And he says, I stand at the door and I knock. I knock. I continuously knock, 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 knock. I keep on knocking. I never stop knocking. I'm waiting for you to answer the door. I'm knocking. So this is a a good understanding here that Jesus doesn't sit on his throne and call for his servant. He goes down to him. He goes to you. Are you with me? He does not withdraw even from those that repel him. He is not disgusted with our insolence and our pride. He pursues us. I'm here. I'm here. Come on next to me. I got some gold for you. Got some clothes for you. New stuff. New threads. Want some? Huh? Amen. He will always condescend himself to remain sitting at our door, desiring to show his love through instruction that brings the choice to change. It's about pursuing. On our part, it's about he pursues the ones he loves, which is who? Us. Everybody. He pursues us. He has a deep, affectionate love for us, and he pursues us. And on our side, we should be pursuing him. If anyone hears my voice, if, it's conditional, 
it denotes a supposition. It's a possibility, but there's an uncertainty because we don't know if you will. But he's hoping that you do. So because of the word if, there's a promise attached. Whenever there's a word if in the Bible, there's always a promise. It's the condition of the promise. They're all free, but they're conditional. You don't have to pay for it. All you have to do is obey for it. Why? Because all you have to do is walk out of the devil's camp and walk into the camp of the blessing. If anybody would open the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Now, we know that there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb that's in heaven, right? And we're going to be dining together. But he wants to dine with you here on the earth. And uh, he needs your permission. See, he doesn't need your permission when you get to heaven. He's in charge. But on the earth, he needs your permission. If you'll open the door, I'll come in. If you don't open the door, I won't come in. So in order for me to come in, I need your permission. You have to open the door. You see that? If there were no promises given or provided, there would be no ifs in the word of God. If you hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and do the things he commands you to do, then all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. If and then, if and then. If you open the door, then I will come in. You go to a financial seminar, you go to a sales meeting, you go to a health class. That would be a health fitness class. Do they do the work for you? Do they tell you what you need to do? Who has to do it? Are results attainable? Are they just being mean to you, telling you that you what you need to do and you need to change? Are the finances attainable? Can the sales goals be uh, increase your income? Is the health available by doing the fitness program? But the results are all based on what? If you do it. All based on the if. Then you will attain it. When the sales goals are presented, the financial seminar is delivered. When the word is preached, Jesus knocking on the door, it is assumed that it's being heard. Therefore, the if can be translated as whosoever. The promises of the word of God results of the seminars are for whoever will listen and do it. If anyone hears and opens the door, whoever listens to me knocking and opens the door and does it, then I will, as we permit him to. And only we can choose to open the door. Nobody else can open the door in your life but Jesus. We have to open the door ourselves. Christ offered to die, uh, died. Christ offered to dine with the penitent church speaks of fellowship, communion, and intimacy. Because sharing a meal in ancient times symbolized the union of people in loving fellowship. That's why we promote fellowship so much. And the word dine, I'll come in and dine with him, it refers to the evening meal. And I think that the underlying Greek calls it to sup. And I think King James says, come in and sup with him because he's talking about supper. So Jesus urged them to repent and have fellowship with him because the night meal, the night meal means the night is coming and the day will be done. 
and judgment will fall and it will be too late forever. He'll even give you to the last moment. Laodicea had everything they felt they needed except the presence of Christ himself. He was outside knocking and all they could and all they had could not carry them into the security of eternity. They needed spiritual riches. So that's why verse 21 goes on to say, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who overcomes. Who is the he that overcomes? He's the whosoever of the if. The one that opens the door. He will sit with me on my throne, not by my throne, not next to my throne, but on my throne. Because the throne was like a bench or a couch. The overcomers are certainly those that are born again, but you don't stop there. All these churches were born again people of God, all seven churches. And it does not say that they're going to lose their salvation. Thank you, Jesus. But he's talking about great rewards to those that live and overcome his life. What kind of rewards? I don't know. It's beyond your imagination. Way beyond your imagination. My God always said, I, 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 I want to have a house on Saturn because I want to race the chariots of fire around all those rings. That's going to be wild. <laughs> that's a wild imagination, but I'm thinking God's got some stuff that's even greater than that. So there are rewards to those that live and overcome his life, but it's not the same rewards to those that are overcome by sin in their life. And we're talking about believers. We're not talking about the world. Forget the world. We're talking about believers. So as a believer, we can live a life overcome by sin. But, and you'll be in heaven. But the rewards are not going to be like for the one that lived and overcome his life. And you could start at any time. Because God is a restorer of all things. Some people think, well, you know, as long as I get to heaven, that'd be great. Well, that's what you say on this side, because you've not been there. But when you get there, you don't get to come back and change it. That's it for all eternity. I'm going for the gusto. How about you? Amen. He who overcomes, I will grant them to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I also overcame. How did Jesus overcome? He chose the if. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. But if not, then your will be done. I will do what your will is. Isn't that right? He chose the if. I'd rather not do it. I don't blame him. But if that's what you want, I will do it. The life of the overcomer. He now sits with his father, the one who gave, he gave himself to. He gave himself to his father, so now he sits on the throne with his father. So we are giving ourselves to Jesus so we can sit on his throne with Jesus. 
It's not one throne for, Jesus, for the Father and one throne for Jesus. Jesus sits on the Father's throne. They sit together. Remember, it's like a bench or a couch. Now we are invited to sit on the same throne, not the throne of Jesus, but the throne of Jesus and the Father. This is what the overcomer is promised in this situation. That we all sit together in heavenly places on the same throne as Jesus and the Father. Now you might think, I don't know if that's really that big of a reward. <laughs> yeah. That's right. We went to Mario Morello's meeting last night, and Jim Willoughby is on the team with him, and he got us third row seats. Or was it second row seats? I don't remember. Third, third row seats. That was nice. Great meeting, too. Great meeting. They might be uh, online. I don't know if it's archived. You got to watch it live. It was a good meeting, wasn't it? Yeah. Praise God. So the overcomer. What did he overcome? He's a victor over the indifference of compromise and complacency. Over compromise and complacency. And you have to really spend time with God to really look at where there is complacency and compromise in our life. Because we do things out of such habit that we don't even know that we're compromising or that we've become complacent. And it's time in the Word of God and time in fellowship with the Holy Spirit for us to realize that. And just to give you an example, back in the 80s this happened. Um, <laughs> back in the 80s, there was stuff we used to watch on TV. And I remember getting saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'd be in the bedroom and I'd be praying for maybe a half an hour or something. And I'd come out and the things on TV was like, what the heck are we looking at? But you never would have known that. You know, Mario last night, he said, uh, said something about being there, and he says, you know, it's, it's not really that late. And he says, don't worry. I've checked the TV guide. He says, there's nothing but stupid on TV. <laughs> yeah, you didn't miss anything. So, again, the overcomer, the victor, the one that overcomes the indifference of compromise and complacency, overcoming the wood, hay, and straw of dead works, overcoming the deception of natural self-sufficiency and sit in a place of true riches. And what Jesus is offering is actually to go to a place of, even though they felt like they were the wealthy, they were the rich, they were in need of nothing, he's offering them to move out of rags and into true riches. From the poor to the rich, from the naked to the clothed. And he says in verse 21 about hearing. He who has an ear, oh, it was 22, I'm sorry. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Hear what the Spirit says. To be zealous to repent. Hear that how much Jesus has a deep, affectionate love for you. That he cares about you so much. He wants you to change. Because he wants you on the throne with him. 
He died so that you can get on the throne. He didn't die just so that you could get saved. He didn't die just so that you could get your bills paid. He didn't die just so you could feel a little bit better. He died so that you could get to the place to where you can come and sit on the throne with him for all eternity. Glory to God. Wow. Wow. What a great reward that is. So far beyond imagination. But you know how good. How many would say that since you got saved, life was good? So imagine what that's going to be like. Beyond imagination. He said, he started off by saying, I advise you to come by gold, white garments, I sell to buy of him without money, without cost. Just come with him. Come to him humbly. Come to him in faith. Come to him ready to change and say, Lord, whatever I need, just let me know. I'm ready. Amen. Just bow your heads for a moment. And, 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 and that's just what we really have to do, coming to the Lord and just saying, Lord, here I am. Lord, you know, whatever I need to do to change, what, what you know, I, I'm not going to anymore go by self-examination. But I am going to allow what your word says, that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts. Lord, I give you permission to search me. Search me, Lord. And reveal to me what I need to work on. Reveal to me, whether it be through the teaching of the word, whether it be through spending time in your word, whether it be by something I've heard from somebody that just touches my heart and lights up inside of me, whatever it might be, however you can get it across to me, in a dream, in a vision, whatever it might be, I want to hear from you. I want you to come in, Lord. I welcome you in. I thank you so much for the deep, affectionate love that you have for me. That you care about me. And that you want me to change and increase and be more conformed in my life to you. So that I can live the kind of life that you came to give me. An abundance of life in all things. Oh, Father, thank you for your wonderful, wonderful plan of salvation. That we've come to realize that being saved is not the end all. But it's just the first step of stepping into a great and wonderful and glorious life with you. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We honor you and praise you this day and every day. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, I thank you so much for your word tonight, what you've deposited on the inside of us. I thank you, Lord, that we do have ears to hear, that we hear you here. We hear you on live stream. We hear you on podcast, that we give ourselves to that which we hear. And we thank you for that. Father, we come before you with our giving. And I thank you, Father, for the opportunity your word says that there's one that gives and yet increases all the more. How that works, we don't know. It's so totally against the flow of the world. But we know you said it. You're the one that declared it. 
that you're a man and you do not lie. I'm sorry, you're not a man that you would lie, but the words that you speak are purest truth. So, Father, we take you at your word, and as we sow today, we declare it. I am the one that gives, and therefore, according to your word, I will increase all the more. I thank you for that, Father, that will, fruit will come back to me. I'll have fruit to share with others and seed to sow again back into your kingdom. We bless you, honor you, and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So if you need an envelope, it's on the seat back in front of you. If, you. if there's not one there, you can just raise your hand. The ushers will serve you. Thanks for joining us on live stream or podcast. Glad that you could be with us tonight. And we do pray the word of God has touched you and brought change into your perception and your understanding. And it caused within your heart a desire to draw even closer to the Lord in these days. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net. You can click on the giving link. And I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. If there's anything at all that we can ever stand in prayer with you about, please let us know. It's always an honor for us and our prayer team to stand with you and believe God for your needs to be met. Amen. Amen. Amen.